Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. Today's show is going to be so epic because I actually sound like a man today. And <laughs> uh, I lost my voice. I pushed my voice uh, last, or I think it was two days ago. And I'm going to push it today, too, because I'm super excited for our guest. Um, she is incredible. Uh, she's an author. She's a keynote speaker, blah, blah, blah. But she is the ruler of her house, and she's not allowed to talk about North County, uh, North County San Diego <laughs> to her husband at all. But this woman is amazing to be able to see what she's doing and transforming lives, not only in her professional life, but in her personal life. And the art of storytelling has been done at no other level as high as what Kendra has been able to do. So I want to welcome to the show, Miss Kendra Hall. Mrs. Kendra Hall. Sorry, I said Miss. Yeah, that's right. No, that's okay. I'll take them both. It's so good. And I was going to, I was going to know, like, you sound different today. There's something. I think you should go and sing a rock concert tonight or like Smelly Cat. Remember? Did you ever watch Friends (laughs) when Phoebe got the, when Phoebe got the flu or whatever it was? And then she's like, Smelly Cat. There you got, oh, 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 see, now, now I've ruined it. Oh, I am no. now taking over the <laughs> Kelly podcast. It's just me, your host, Kendra Hall. <laughs> that's what, that's what it's about. That's what it's totally about. So uh, tell, tell me a little bit. We were talking before and for everyone out there listening, what I want you to do, we're going to get the particulars out of the way. Um, you need to check her out on Instagram, Kendra Hall. Am I correct? Kendra Hall on, uh, on Instagram. That's right. Okay. Kendra Hall on Instagram. You're going to pre-order her book. <laughs> we made it very easy. I don't know my directions today so if you look up i believe in the left hand side there's a qr code you could scan that you could go you could pre-order her book i think you get like a billion a gajillion dollars in value um she'll come and wash your car <laughs> if you if you pre-order her <laughs> book will. her and her husband and her kids mm-hmm. will um and her dog yeah. that she's not that happy about having either <laughs> No, so I I know I know I I love my somebody said to me they're like oh my gosh you I see you're a dog person and I was like I have a dog um I do feel it's important to no I love my dog and. I'm not a dog person, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're both going to get in trouble because we're going down the dog rabbit hole here in a second. Um, I know. Okay, my daughter was seven years old. Up until she was seven years old, she, every night, daddy, can I get a dog? Daddy, can I get a dog? Yeah. Daddy, can I? And then I finally broke. And I was like, I'm going to get her a dog. I'm going to be that dad. And then I got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's where we're at. That's where yeah, we're at. That's where we're at. And talk about being like broke. You finally broke. We, my husband, Michael, we were out walking, walking the dog. And <laughs> through a series of unfortunate events, the dog uh, took off. Uh, and Michael didn't realize that the leash was like wrapped strangely around his finger. And it like was also propped up against his ring. And he broke his, the dog broke his pinky uh he had to go in for hand surgery and all of this was right before running the new york city marathon i mean so i will like try to pawn my dog off on other you know because dogs come up in conversation all the time and i'll be like do you want a dog and they'll all say i don't have enough insurance to have your dog it's so it's terrible. And she's very wonderful. So, you know, it's just one of those. It's just one of those things. <laughs> so, so talk to me, uh, Kendra, because you're a, you're a New Yorker now. We were we were yeah. uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit. Uh, you've been there for four years. Some New Yorkers would be like, you've been here four years. You ain't a New Yorker. But you did you did go through some crazy. You, did so, you chose to move to New York at probably the, the least inopportune time in the world. 
Um, you know, it was, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. We idea. moved here. It, we moved here in 2018, uh, you know, which in and of itself is like a crazy, we lived in beautiful suburbia, Phoenix on a golf course, you know, like and very close to California. We could go to the beaches uh, and just kind of on a whim, we decided this seems really easy. Um, let's just move to New York City or, you know, like, oh, this is like what we see our life being forever and and we're already there. Like, let's move. Let's make life a little bit harder. And you know, when you go to New York, you expect it to be hard. Like every, it's really hard. And then, and then it got a, it got harder. Uh, come March twenty twenty, got really, really hard. But I think that, like, had that not happened, you know, um, I, I think you can look at. And that's one of the things I always say is like the middle middles of stories are always really messy. They're super intense. They don't make sense. You're questioning everything. Now, even though we're still kind of in the, the story isn't over, but in terms of us and our relationship with New York, uh, being here during that time uh, changed everything for us. It was suddenly not not just like a place we were living for a bit for an adventure and then we would move back west. Now it's like. This is our home. These are our people. This is this is where we are. And I don't know that my heart will ever leave here if my even if my like the rest of me does. Kendra, help help us too because I mean you're you're one of like if anyone out there is either watching. If you're watching, you see her and you see her light up. If you're listening, you can hear the love, the joy in her voice, and when she's telling stories, she's not doing it from a mechanical sense. You've broke it down, which I love. But what I love about it is when you are off air, you live it. Like, and I wanted to see that this morning. When we came <laughs> on the call, we started talking and you spoke in stories, but you spoke in stories that, that, that you actually believed. And there are yeah. so many people out there with so much information and they put it in the steps, but they don't, they don't own the steps. Take us back to young Kendra and when these things, because when you tell a story, you're so engaging with it. Um, when did that, when did you start to realize that that was a, uh, something that you had inside you? Yeah, I think that, I think, well, the first story I ever told was when I was 11. Uh, it was an assignment for fifth grade. We were supposed to go read a book to a third grade classroom, which was fine, I decided that reading the book wasn't going to be nearly as fun for me as like telling the story that was in the book. So I get into the classroom and I put the book down and just start telling the story. And, and often when I, cause this is a story that I share and often when I share it, it it's all about the fact that in that moment, and it was it was at the end of the day, it was at the end of the school year, the third graders were bouncing off the walls. Like it was a complete, the girl who went right before me, um, she, she read the book, I'll like you forever. I'll love you for always. As long as I'm living my baby, you'll be. So now you know, this is like in the early nineties, it would have been. And that book had just come. Now it makes me want to go off the shelf and pull that book and like, look at the pub date for that book early nineties. And she sat down and, and was holding up the pictures and reading the book. And the kids were just, they were miserable. It wasn't her fault. It was just like, it's not, it's not actually a book for kids. It's actually a book for very hormonal mothers. If you think about it, like that's like people who have much more wisdom about the, the progression of like, well, the meaning of life. And so here she is reading this book and I had to go after her 
And I was like, oh my gosh, like, well, how am I ever going to, like, I can't even, like, I can't even do this. I'm falling asleep. And so I put the book down. I told the story. And when I share the story, I often focus on that audience of third graders. And then it only took a few sentences for those third graders to like be eating out of the palm of my hand. And I was like, well, this is interesting. Like, if I really want people to listen to me, maybe... I should be telling stories like this seems like, and at 11, I kind of picked up on that. But I think the other side of it and to the question, the uniqueness of the question you asked is it is, I like my life more. I like my conversations more when I'm telling stories, when I'm hearing stories from other people. Like I, I think stories are so much more, fun and of course memorable and and everything else than just that I don't know answering questions and if you allow it to happen you meant we were talking about your lost voice pre-show and you said that and like oh I sound like a man and just that comment brought me back to a story that happened to me years ago and like what an awesome thing to it's these opportunities to transport each other into different areas of our life. And like, what better way to find meaning in your life than to allow yourself to go to all your different stories. So speaking in story just makes me happier too. <laughs> so, but help us too, because some of the people out there that are listening, they're like, <clears throat> well, I like to tell stories too, but you've always got that wah, wah friend that tells stories They'll, yeah. they'll catch some from you and then they'll go into the negative side of it. Can you talk to us about how important your attitude about your story is? Because <laughs> when I say this, listeners, people watching, Kendra's the real deal. Like Kendra's the real deal. I, I checked it. I heat checked her before she, we went live. And what she's talking about, she lives it because I, I watched it and I watched her embody it. But Number one, how important is the attitude part of it? And number two, how was that attitude constructed? Because a lot of times, you know, as young kids, depending on our circumstances, we have the tendency to see it from a different lens. Yeah, I I don't know, Kelly. I've always, and maybe it is the storytelling aspect of it. When, when you see yourself as a living, breathing story, you know, like that, like even the hardships, even, you know, uh, March, 2020, New York city, um, my, uh, my primary source of income, the way I literally pay our rent. Okay. Comes from speaking for large gatherings of humans. <laughs> so, so, so think about this. I, I mean, the, and, and I always say I had a, a two week advance. I was kind of like, I had a two week head start on what was coming our way because events started calling two weeks, bef- like in late February saying, uh, out of an abundance of caution, uh, out of an abundance of caution. So I had these two very dark weeks where no one else in my life seemed to be affected by this thing that seemed very far away. Um, and I felt so alone and it was so dark and um, just watching income and an entire business that I had spent years building just evaporate. Um, and I'm not going to say it was necessarily a, a pretty thing. There were really dark 
moments. But I guess when you, I think that's the greatest thing that's ever come from my experience in story and my study of story and my immersion in storytelling is that it's all a story. So if you can just get through this part, this is a part you will talk about later. You know, like this is a part that you'll be like, you're, we're laughing right now about the entire collapse of my financial. Like I, we, we put post-its up on the wall of how much money we could spend. And like, if you went to the grocery store, Michael was our grocery store goer and you spent Twenty. They were in ten dollar increments, and you spent ten dollars. You spent fifteen dollars. You had to take two of the post its off the wall and put one up that said five dollars. Actually, we got to the point where I was like, "Hey, just cross off the ten and put the five because we can't can't afford to get more post its." <laughs> like you, right? And we're and we're like laughing about it now. But but so that is, and not that you'll ever. I mean, it's naive to think that the day will ever come when you'll be able to laugh about everything. Uh, but there is something about the faith that you have in that, okay, this is really difficult, but I know that this is a middle and I don't know how long it's going to go and I don't know how, how bad it's going to get, but at some point I will look back and tell the story of this middle and why it makes sense as to where I am now. And so I think that that, you know, like the Debbie, you know, the Debbie Downer, the people who are always really negative is they just, I don't know. I, I go through life like, oh, let's see how this story's going to turn out. You know, like that, that's, um, it's, I guess it's a, a learned approach and a conscious approach. In some ways it's a privileged approach. Like I can, I can be in that place. Uh, but I think it's a valuable one. This episode is brought to you by one of my favorite companies in the entire world, the Mina Group. As one of the top culinary experiences in the world, celebrity chef Michael Mina and his team are dedicated to giving you what you never knew you always wanted. With 30 locations throughout the world, this company is focused on the one thing that truly matters, their people, and that is why they are your world of wow. Change your life by going to michaelmina.net. Well, for all of you listening and for you, Kendra, um, when the pandemic happened, um, we have every single business that we have, like they say diversify every single business yeah. that we have, every one of them, 100% gone. Like, and yeah. I was diversified. We own salons across the country. <laughs> Those were gone. Um, oh yeah. I, I speak <laughs> that was gone. Um, I mean, every aspect of, of, of that. So when I'm laughing, I'm laughing with you and not at you. But I want to yes. tell you, I want to tell you this too. I had the worst situation ever because I had the meeting with all of our salons and we had them throughout the country. And I sit down with them. I believe it's four days before the 16th, March 16th, which was yeah. the, the day. Yep. And I have a meeting with my leadership and I said, look guys, chill out. I've been through nine 11 I've been mm -hmm. through the crash in 2008. Everything's mm -hmm. going to be cool. 10 days, 14 days, tops. We're back up and rolling. Everyone's good. The worst part about this, Kendra, is I, 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 recorded, I recorded that meeting. 
Oh, that doesn't age well. Yeah, that's going to go bad. That That is. But at the same time, you're like, that's where we all, and isn't there just this like, look it, like we really, I mean, I wish, I wish I had recorded more of more. I just wish I had recorded more of the things that we, but that's also, that's an important thing from a storytelling perspective as well. Like, we should re- all, all we should record as much as we can because there's always this nostalgia with my kids Kelly my kids call like March 2020 April 2020 the the good old days can we just be, i mean like that to hear them to hear them say so we've moved apartments since um and we'll walk by our old apartment where we were we were just always there. We did leave. We weren't the people that never left. We would go to Central Park. So Central Park was a couple blocks away. I mean, what an incredible experience to be in Central Park and be the only people there. Um, it was, you can't even, I can hardly imagine it now. See, because that's what happens as time goes on and our we kind of, uh, we erase the nuances of it and how important it is that um, we record as much as possible because in that recording, we we can see how far we've come. Like what, again, that's what life is really, that's what life really is. Well, Kendra, talk to me too about, because what this is just uh, a generalization. So I get in trouble for generalizations. But I'm okay with getting. In I'm trouble. very mean. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get you a big. You can tell. I am. <laughs> this is big trouble. <clears throat> Most of the time, when I find someone sit into their purpose, and this is truly your purpose, like you could see it, you could hear it. Um, when you speak about it, it just exudes from you. Um, your your purpose is to help people to understand their stories and to be able to construct them. You know, um, but what I find is when someone sits in their purpose, a lot of times it's healing for them. Talk to mm-hmm. us about young Kendra because you talk, you, you hit on it a few times, but you yada yada me a little bit with, uh, you know, you, you did, you made it, we made a Seinfeld or you made a friends reference earlier. I'm make a Seinfeld reference right now, but you were talking about your, the, the, your, your resilience, the ability to bounce back. Let's go back. Who taught you that? Was it your mom? Was it mom and dad that were teaching you that you need to look at the bright side of this, or was it? Because say, say for instance, with me, people used to say that I had rose-colored glasses all the time, and I figured out why I had rose-colored glasses because my brother, my older brother, when my parents would fight, my brother would throw me in the room and tell me to play with my toys. I would play. He would go out and get in the middle of my parents, and he would sometimes take an ass beating, and I would be playing, and I would be like, "Oh, our family is everything's cool." And that's the way I grew up. My brother became a lawyer, one of the top attorneys mm-hmm. in Vegas, right? And yes, he doesn't, he must always scratch the surface. For me, I'm just hanging out. Like, uh, you know, and it's, I realized that part. Help us to understand that young Kendra and where these, where this amazing attitude or way to be able to shift things came from. You know, I think that it's, it's, and what I'm experiencing right now is something that a lot of people experience is I just don't really have a story to tell. Like it's very, it seems very um, vanilla. It seems very without, like there isn't a good story there. However, um, now sitting here and, and being asked this question so explicitly makes me realize that again, just because, 
like my story is my story. So I grew up in a household with two social worker parents. Um, so communication and understanding our choices and ownership of our actions. And, um, like we did, we did a lot of talking things out and like, it was a very, um, and in a, and not in a, for me personally, um, not in a weird, like I'm all messed up because my parents kept making me talk things out, right? Like I am better for it in that way. Um, I think that when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to looking at the, the bright side is that my parents taught me that there are always a lot of perspectives. Like there's more to the story to understand my, my, my parents both worked. I mean, as we, as I became a teenager, like they, we, you know, there was some like friction. Uh, there was some uh, expectations of perfection that like I fully stepped into. And, you know, I remember once my, I got in trouble because I left my purple folder at school in my locker for whatever. I was like a junior in high school. I'm like, I'm just going to get in the car and go back to the school and get my purple folder. And my dad was like, how'd you forget this purple folder? Why did you, you know, like you can't, you can't just get And Really what he's thinking is we live in rural Minnesota um, where it's dirt roads all the way. It's the middle of winter. It is not sitting. It's, it's 8 PM. It's pitch black. Well, it's pitch black at 3 PM in the afternoon. Like it is not safe for you to go back to school for this purple folder. I didn't know that it was, I took it as my dad saying, why aren't you perfect? How dare you forget a folder? Um, and I was like, I come back and I'm like, do you have any idea what I have going on in my life right now? I am on, I am on student council. I'm on students against junk. I listed off, da, 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 you know, like I am like, you've been wanting me to be perfect. And here I am being perfect. And I got to go back and get that purple folder because I want to get my homework done so I can be perfect at school tomorrow too. <laughs> right. So, so, I mean, so there was like some of that. Um, but I think that. I think that I grew up in an in an environment where there was definitely an attitude of seek to understand and where people were given an opportunity to tell their side of the story. And um, you were expected to do it respectfully. And if you didn't, and uh, both sides, and if you didn't, you were expected to apologize and come back and do it respectfully. So I grew up in, for me, for my personal experience, it was extremely functional, right? Like I, and so in which case I'm like, well, I really don't like it was about as fun, but then I get to say, okay, so this is important then to bring forward. Um, but I think, I think additionally, my, I know. Do you have mit- is that like a common response? Like no, I just no. Came from a really functional. <laughs> no, I mean, but Kendra, do you realize that you're the weird one? Then do you? I am. You, you realize it, yes. but also too, what I love about it is, as you were talking through it, you were like, "No, we live very vanilla." No, your ass didn't. You lived in the in, in the backwoods in in Minnesota, <laughs> and and your dad was, you know, your dad was like, "You ain't driving this," and so. It, it's great to be able to hear it, right? It's great to be able yeah. to hear that part. Now, help me though, because when you perform and you have to communicate, right? When you get 13, 14, 15 years old, 
even though it's the right thing to do, um, you know, I mean, we all, you know, we don't do I, it. Did, I, did you choose, did a- you choose some bad boys, uh, early on? Yes. Yes, yes you did. <laughs> but, but then, but then, like, I think about it, like, were they really, were they really that bad? I think that I've actually been thinking about this recently, mm-hmm. um, in that it's like a, it's a plight to, when you're in young, like young dating age to, to be able to see the good in people and like want to like root for that. I I was, I don't even know why I was thinking about it. I was thinking about like old relationships because I did, I, I met Michael when I turned, I actually met him on my 25th birthday and I knew right when I met him, I was like, Oh, there you are. I have been looking and I'm so glad that we, that I found you because here you are. And and there's a whole, I was very certain that I would marry him and he just took a lot longer to figure that out. And it got, it got irritating if I'm honest, but I like went through a whole (laughs) bunch of people before 25 that like a lot and you know like I'm sure my father was just out of his mind my mother too like I had because I was just like and I would always fall all the way in love like that was my thing um and sometimes I would fall in love with the idea of the best in them and they just weren't ready for the best in them yet you know <laughs> so you you had actually constructed and were living your book before you wrote it because you were yes. telling yourself these stories that these guys I mean where do you think the fixer part came from I, I well I mean I I think they already <laughs> answered that question I grew up with two social worker yes, parents yes right? yes so that but I think we all we all think about this story that that could be um, and where it becomes dangerous is when you then sacrifice your own self-respect or your safety uh, in uh, in in an effort to create a story that maybe isn't fully there. Absolutely. Right. Like that it's more fictional than than reality. Right. Um And that's actually one of the things that's really important to me is when I'm teaching and talking about stories, this isn't fiction. We have all the stories we need in the life we've already lived for better, for worse, uh, whether that's outward business stories that you're using for sales and marketing, they're already all that you don't have to make up a story. They're all there in your business. Mm. Um, I mean, your salons, like think about every single person that walks in that door is like 20 stories and God bless the woman, man working on the hair. Like that is, that's a lot of stories to take on. And if you've got several clients throughout a day, like you're just basically a story factory or at least taking them in and processing them. Like we don't have to look outside our own lives to have all of the material and, and, and even, even when you're looking for meaning or purpose or joy in your own life, there are stories already there for you too. Like even just sitting here with you right now, I, I had forgotten about the purple folder and here it is. And all this, I'm thinking about these other, you know, things that have happened in my childhood that really are, if they didn't shape who I am, they are at least accurate representations of who I am and how I came to be here. 
This episode is proudly brought to you by SamaritansFeet.org. I met Manny a homie probably about four or five months ago, and this man had such an impression on me. He told me that when he was nine years old, he had lived up until that point without shoes, and he won a contest, uh, got shoes, and it changed his whole entire life, inspired him to play basketball, inspired him to get a, a Division I uh, scholarship playing basketball and uh, succeed at a high level in his life. He then got to a point where he was so successful Successful, but he was looking for purpose in his life. Samaritan's Feet serves and inspires hope in children by providing shoes as a foundation to a spiritual and healthy life, resulting in the advancement of education and economic opportunities. When I asked Manny, why shoes? Why did you think that this would be so huge? And he said to provide a tangible foundation of hope and the opportunity for a better life, to prompt children to focus in school and families not to worry and to protect feet and decrease the possibility of getting a foot-borne disease. Since 2003, Samaritan's Feet and its partners have distributed over 8 million pairs of shoes in 108 countries and over 440 U.S. cities. And that's why I'm so proud that SamaritansFeet.org is one of the main sponsors of the Kelly Cardenas podcast because making this world a better place is our rent for living on this planet. Kendra, take me back to, we're going to stay in the, we're going to stay in the young Kendra there for a second. Then, then we'll move on. But get, tell me one time where what, what you thought was absolutely normal. Because you said vanilla and you didn't live in a vanilla. Like, you, you, right? You said that and that was the story you believed. But talk to me about a situation where you thought it was normal when you were a kid. And then you and Michael are hanging out, maybe having a little glass of wine, whatever. I'm not, you know. And you think about it and you're like, that was not normal. Can I give you an example? Yes, please. Okay. So my dad used to hang out with his buddies in the basement. And in the basement, he used to talk in a different voice. Well, they used to sit around this thing that was probably about four foot tall, and it had hoses off, the, off of it. And when I would go down in the basement, there would be this weird smell. He would always be next to this hose, and he would talk in a weird voice. He would always turn to me after he, he had the hose close to his mouth, and then he'd take it off, and he'd be like, hey, Kelly, can you go up and get me some? And then he would always take a large exhale afterwards. I thought this was the basement voice. I had no idea. So this is, you know, up until probably second grade. And then I'm in eighth grade. I'm walking to school with my buddy. And I smell something. And I'm like, wow. Hey, Will. That smells smells like like my basement. When I was growing up. And he's like, oh, your dad's a pothead. And I had no idea. Talk to us about something that you thought was normal in rural vanilla, not vanilla, you had some sprinkles yeah. on there that now you yeah. look back and you're like, that ain't normal. I mean, <laughs> I, it's not going to be a basement voice, though. I have had those like uh, recalls and back, you know, where, where I grew up, it was 30 minutes to like, it was a long distance for me to call my friends at school. Like that I went to school with, like we lived in different <laughs> area codes. Did like, you have the lipstick or, phone? Like, it was just the, um, I, yes, I did. Uh, did you have the lipstick phone or did you have the one that flipped I, over like the swatch one or 
I don't think it was the lipstick phone, but it was red. It, I did have a red phone, but it wasn't, I wasn't cool enough. Like that was so DJ Tanner. I, had that. I was never as cool as DJ Tanner and the lipstick phone. No, I had like a boring red. It was like maroonish phone. Uh, but that was very, we were, we, yeah. So it was, um, but I do remember in our, like we lived on, 10 acres. So when you talk about chores, like my husband had a, my husband had a paper route or whatever. <laughs> my chore was, uh, we lived on 10 acres and a lot of it was wooded. So we had to be careful in the fall to wear bright clothing when we went out to play in the woods that were like behind the field in the woods behind our house. There was this Creek because of people out hunting deer. Uh, my parents didn't want us to get shot, uh, in, rural Minnesota. So that, now that I say that out loud, that may be different. Um, Then, you know, it's a whole different, it's a, yeah, that was a different environment back then, but still we were, we were concerned and they were worried about me moving to New York city and the safety. Now this is all coming. I'm like, hold on. I could have got shot in my backyard. Pretty sure. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like, okay, so see, I'm I'm learning some things. This is good therapy session. Um, but so we lived on ten acres and my dad decided uh he was very much he worked all the time. He worked very hard at his job and then he would come home and work very hard. And and he just kept exp- he wanted every inch of our 10 acres except for the woods where we could get shot um to be grass. Like he wanted it all and so he decided there was this big like swap our house was kind of built into a hill. And there was this big hill that we could go sledding down and then it went up another hill and, and he decided that what he wanted to do was turn it into a, a, a driving range. So, so he first like tore down all the weeds and he would do this in sections. So the driving range just got bigger and bigger until it was like 185 yards and we put a pin with a flag at the, it was a par three. Um, and so we, but we, he would like, you know, you have to first take out all the tall grass and then you have to like burn it. I don't know if that was illegal or not. So just don't, don't <laughs> let's not talk about that. But you had to like burn, burn the grass and then you had to till it up. And then if you wanted to plant new grass, um, you had to pick out all the rocks out of the dirt. But that was, I mean, that was pretty hard manual labor. And so that was my job to pick rocks. So while some kids get an allowance, we never got an allowance. I tried to convince them like to, for making the bed or brushing my teeth, but that was, but I did get 25 cents for every 10 gallon bucket of rocks that I picked up. (laughs) I love your dad. I I think even with inflation, that's not very good. I don't think that is minimum. I don't, I think that is just straight up child labor. So, but I would spend, and you know what? There were there, I remember there was a Barbie doll and I don't remember exactly which one, uh, but there was a Barbie doll that I really wanted. And I picked so many rocks and my brother and sister would get tired after like one bucket and I'd be out there. I had this whole system where I would go and I would like pick them all up and put them in like pot. Cause it's this huge expansive <laughs> space. So I would just like collect the rocks and make little smaller piles. And then I would go around and pick up the bigger piles. And then, and then we planted all, <laughs> then all the grass got planted and then guess what happens? 
Somebody's got to mow it. So, so then that became my job too. So I would spend five hours on a, on a, at least it was a riding lawnmower, uh, mowing the lawn. And we had this like John Deere that someone had like handed me that, like handed down and it would pop out of gear. And so I'd be going up the hill and it would pop out of gear and I'd go hurtling backwards. And I'm like trying to put it back into gear. And the whole time I was like, I had on my Walkman, you know, like tape player, like, um, What's that? Casey and Jojo, I think, was yes. on. That, you know, like all of that. You listen you know, to Jodeci in my, Minnesota? I mean, we listen to, who, who knows, or like um, waterfalls. Don't go chasing yes, waterfalls. TLC. I would practice my my acceptance speeches, like being <laughs> on the news, all on the lawnmower. And now even to this day, we whenever we walk by like a big open lawn in Central Park, <laughs> My my kids are even like, if it's been freshly mowed, my kids will be like, look at the lines on that one, mama. <laughs> I really, that's my dream is to go mow the lawns in Central Park. But I guess like hard work was definite, like, like hard labor was definitely valued in uh, my family. <laughs> so, so take me through the conversation when you sit down with your dad and tell him like, okay, so this is his hard nosed social working. Then he comes home and he's plowing the fields, picking up the, the rocks, doing the whole thing. And then you come to him and you're like, yo, I'm going to tell stories for a living. Like, yeah, hey, come that, on, talk to me, talk to I, me. I, that one. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so here's, so here's the one thing was that when I, as I was getting ready to tell that first story for that fifth grade assignment, um, I did come home and say to my mom, I think I want to just tell this story. I think I just want to tell it. And so I practiced for her and she tells the story that she was sitting on the floor. I was standing up, her back was against the couch and she saw me start telling the story and was like, what? have I just seen? So, so when you ask like, where does this come from? I really think without getting too, you know, I mean, I'm a spiritual person. I feel like this is the, this is my, um, I am the vessel. Like this is, I am just a portal of light for this. And so that's why it's like hard for me to explain it. It was just, it, it I think it's always it's always been there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just really fortunate enough to have parents and then people along my path who kept, who like my mom saw it right then when I practiced for her. And then when I told that first story in fifth grade, one of the teachers was like, what just happened here? And then I didn't go back to fifth grade. So now like when my kids need help with math, I'm like, yeah, I'm out. Like I haven't done math <laughs> since fourth grade and our fourth grade math was a lot lower grade than what your grade math is doing. So I'm out. I didn't, I stopped because I just went to every classroom in my school telling that story. And so, and then these other opportunities, like there would be storytelling competitions or I was, I was on the speech team and told stories there. I, I, I entered a national storytelling competition and ended up winning that. Like, so, so in some ways, my dad was like, well, we always knew that this is 
like we knew this was going to be a part of what you were doing, but I thought you were going to be a journalist. Like I thought you were going to be writing for a paper. I thought you were going like, cause it was very, um, a gonzo, you know, gonzo on the Muppets. Like you, you know who he is, but you don't really know <laughs> what I've never who heard what that. he is. I've never heard that like, association. And I love, you, I love like, that's what I, like, you know who he is, but you don't know what he is. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so that, and I feel like there, I actually, now that you say it, I feel like there are a lot of gonzos and like, you know, gonzo and you love gonzo and you're like, Oh my gosh, you're so gonzo. But like, what are you? And I think the world is always trying to figure out like yeah yeah I get that you're but what are you um and so there was maybe a little bit there was definitely a little bit of that and with this achievement hard working and so only now and it's hard to explain oh my daughter talks about storytelling to come like how do you ex- she moved she she moved to New York City she has an apartment like they can but she talks about uh, you know, like it was a little <laughs> ambiguous. Um, and that's hard. I think that's hard for anyone when there's someone you respect, whether it's a parent or whoever it is to, as you're still trying to figure out, you know, the who, but you're trying to figure out the what it makes you then a little bit more self-conscious about the who of your gonzo Um, it wasn't like always easy, but I think throughout the course of my growing up, it was always a really clear, like I was allowed to be who I was and encouraged to be who I was. And even if that was in, so it was interesting to see that like then kind of flip when it's like, Hey, what are you doing? Cause I quit a job to be a storyteller. We had no idea what that I was writing for a while. I wrote um, wedding vows, wedding stories for people. So what I would do, so I left my job and I, I was going to be a storyteller, which I still wasn't sure what that was going to look like. Um, and I would interview couples like a bride and a groom, and I would interview them separately and get their story of like when they met, uh, when they proposed and like what they loved about each other. And I would write it, uh, for them. And then they would either read it to each other at the wedding or they would have someone out like a best man and a, and a maid of honor read it for them. Um, I was making about the same per hour doing that as I was picking up rocks. Okay. So it wasn't a financially, <laughs> I should have, I probably would have made more picking up rocks. Like I charged like a hundred dollars for like 500 hours of work, it. but but, you know, it was just I I don't think I would have gotten through that because I also wanted to be successful and I wanted to earn an income and I wanted to, you know, um, I don't think I would have gone all the way if it hadn't if I hadn't always known like, OK, we're just we're just we're just honing the what like the who's already there. We're just honing the what. Another pause for station identification and shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Finley Cars of Las Vegas. I tell you, a next level in the car buying experience, and not only that, but the life of your car, the service that you're going to uh, experience is incredible. It's Finley Volvo Cars uh, 
lv.com. And also brought to you by uh, Bling Shine Serum, the only product on the market that will add weightless moisture, strength, and shine, and the only uh, product that has the endorsement of my mama. When I showed her all the features and benefits, she smelled it, and she said, this is the greatest product that you've ever done. And I thought, mom, do you not uh, look at the features and benefits? She said, no, if it smells like that, it must work. And I tell you, every single woman needs a little bit of bling in their life, and this can be purchased at kellycardinasalon.com. Talk to us a little bit about when you said, because I think a lot of times when, when you, when you don't fit into a box and, and this is what I love mm-hmm. about you. Like we haven't got a chance to spend that much time together, but the time that we've got to ch- spend together. And even in the 10 minutes before we went on air guys, I actually started recording everyone out there listening. I started oh, recording yeah. before Kendra knew. So I'm going to release some of the sound bites from this. And what you'll see is that every aspect, every aspect of your book, You've mm. already talked about, but you've embodied mm. it. We haven't even talked about your book. Like we, I, I mean, which is amazing. If you want it, get up in the, I think it's the left or the right, whatever, where the QR code is, scan it. It'll change your life. The people that are doing um, endorsements for it. I love to watch people's endorsements for books because most of the time people are like, hello, uh, I read the book. You're like, no, you didn't. You didn't, but Kendra's are like in the camera, grabbing the camera, like, I read it, changed my life, you're the best. But what I love about this is that you literally, like every single aspect, I mean, you came up with a four-way uh, part of, uh, of storytelling, right? Which normally all of us, all of us normal people, we have an event, we have a response, we have a result. What, what Kendra said is you have the event, you have the story, you have the response, you have the result. If you go back, I've never asked anyone to rewind a podcast. Rewind this and start at the beginning and start, write those words down, event, story, response, result. And you'll see that every time that Kendra told a story, she was embodying that every single time. Even the time when she got tripped up and said that she was vanilla and her life was, no, she wasn't. She was picking up rocks. That should be your next book. <laughs> Picking up rocks. But, I know. And sawing down trees. So, I mean, I just would, yeah, I mean, it was. Well, tell, tell us too about, because you don't fit a mold, right? You don't fit mm-hmm. a mold. It wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to school and then I'm going to be a CEO of a company, whatever it is. I mean, literally, like you are a storyteller. That's who you are. That's what you do. But you do it at the highest level. Talk to us about some of the challenges, though, those dark times, because there's a lot of people out there that don't fit a mold. My dad said Mm -hmm. this to me the other day. He's like, it's real easy to talk about my two older sons, but it's sometimes hard to talk about you, son. And I said, why? He said, because your older uh, brother's a doctor, your other brother's a lawyer. And he's like, I don't know what the hell you do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, so we, we had salons before. We shifted into that. Um, but there's been all these things, but talk to those people out there that are the gonzos that, mm. you know, what, what were some of the things that you went through and the feelings and emotions that you went through during that time to be able to figure out and sit into the fact of, I love the fact that you're just you. You know, I think that, um, I mean, I can go, you can, you can see it expressed in, in so many different ways, like all the way back to high school where I was just loud and you know my eyebrows moved too much when I was like trying to (laughs) express myself you know and um when you're trying to be cool but I was just so and then there would be 
those cool kids who saw some, you know, like who like you were like, I, I have this, um, this memory of this really cool boy who was like in front, it was our freshman year of high school. And he was just, he's always been like, he, like, he was born cool. I think he was cool. Like starting in for as long forever. Like I'm sure he's still cool. He's so cool. He's not on social media. So I have no idea how cool he is. That's how cool he is. Right. Like there's just no trace of him. And, um, I remember, one day after school, it was our freshman year of high school, like that first couple of weeks. And I was after school for speech team and he was after school for whatever cool sport he was. You play in the fall. I think it was football. And um, we were at the soda machine and he got a Welch's grape soda and like gave it to me to have a taste. And it was like done. Like suddenly I was... <laughs> accepted like it wasn't cool but I was me and you know and so you see these little you see these little glimmers of like okay it's okay to be me but more often than not when you're gonzo you're getting different messages whether it's from the outside or even just the messages that you're saying in your own head um and so I remember you know being someone who who wanted to achieve and 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 wasn't afraid to to work hard. It seemed like what I should do was really a corporate role. I wanted to wear high heels. I wanted to run an office. I wanted to, um, but it just kept coming back this this thing that I was meant to do. And so I remember when I first left the job, and I had decided that what I was how I was going to be a storyteller after the wedding writing after like <laughs> blogging. I don't. It, I just was trying all these. Um, it was very uh, strange. How, Kendra, how long, how long did it take you to write the vows? Like, seriously, you said 500 hours, but I know. But you were saying you were getting paid the same as picking up rocks. No, so was. how many hours would you spend on these vows? Oh, I would say like 100 hours probably. Because oh <laughs> you want to get it. And when you're someone who loves stories as much as I do, and when you talk to people like right now, right, where you're interviewing me, but like, I love hearing people's stories and like you hear and then, and then to take their stories. And I think one of the coolest things is when someone tells you their story and they don't realize how amazing it is. And then my job was to take it. I know, I know. My job was to take it and like reshape it to make it even more. And I would just spend forever on that um, did you re- did you record them? Did, you, did you record them or have them send you the video so and how no, were you- i never even saw i never even saw it and because i'm sure that you were you know may possibly marketing this to other, to, to other people who didn't which want. was not even that marketing it was good that i wasn't very good at marketing oh because otherwise i would have had to do more of them That's right amazing. so it was it was it was messy but then i remember um, I decided what I really wanted to do was teach people how to tell stories for themselves so I didn't have to tell their stories. Like I was like, wait, wait, wait. 
if you feed a man a fish, right? Or if you teach a man a story. So I'm just going to teach him to story. And this is at this point, I had gotten further along. Like I was doing some work with uh, nonprofits and and seeing the results in donations just by changing it to stories versus we raise X number of dollars for this fund every year and every dollar counts, blah, blah. Like who cares about that? But do you know once this is a little side, once I was in charge of a silent auction, and it was just, it was for a small event. It was, um, and it was called a men's event. So it was like, it was just a slow, there was like 75 men and then the wives were there too. And it was in the steakhouse and it was beautiful, but there were silent auction items. And I was like, silent auction is so boring. Like, how are we going to? And so I sat down with every single one of the items that was donated and I wrote a story about every single one. And some of them, in some cases, they were like made, they were made up. One, well, like somebody donated a mattress. They were a mattress company. So they donated like this really beautiful mattress. And I was like, um, for when you're in the doghouse, at least you can sleep more comfortably. And then I like I wrote this whole story about, you know, the in-laws coming to town and you didn't know or whatever it was. And we raised it was the most successful uh, fundraiser, the or like not um, a silent auction that the organization had ever had because people were just hanging over the silent auction table, reading all of the <laughs> reading all of the stories. And so at that point, I started to, I think, see a little bit more value in what I brought to the marketplace. It wasn't just that stories are entertaining. It wasn't just that they can be for weddings. Like there was a real, like you could do really good things in the world if you were better at telling stories. Um, and so I decided to like create this course that is, it was on just for the record, uh, workbooks and DVDs. So no longer available. Um, and, and I have, can like you send me, you, you know, you have one of the DVD sets. Can you send me? One. You, I can, can't, I can't cause I only saved one. Cause I can moved you burn so it? much. Can you burn it? No. Who has a who has a DVD DVD burner? DVD burner. My old college Any, just sent hey, me someone the, out there. The, someone out there that's listening. Nah. Someone out there and has honestly, a DVD burner. I need these DVDs. No, it is probably in a storage unit somewhere across the country. Like we moved so many times that I was finally like, I'm not bringing these with me. These can stay here. When, when I die, when Michael and I die, our kids are going to have to travel all over the country to find our different storage units where we're <laughs> keeping all our junk. And like, that is just, I haven't told them about that yet. Hopefully we're not going to go anywhere I anytime to, soon. I need but, you to will me a, a DVD. But what I am going to say is I think it would be cool. This is why I'm not going to be your marketing manager is because I think it would be cool if you hit the QR code and you go and pre-order the book. Kendra is going to pick one person to send those DVDs to only for a week and you have to send them back. She's going to send you the return no, postage really. and she'll send them out to you and you get to just enjoy them. You won't have a DVD player because I don't think anyone in the world does except my no, Uncle Lou. My Uncle Lou has it. one. Yeah. Yes, Uncle Lou. My Uncle Lou has, I believe, still has a DVD player. 
Someone just sent me a CD and I was like, but <laughs> did you also send me a CD player? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? So, so go, so sorry. <laughs> I took, I took you off course, but take me back, take me back to the yeah. course. You did the course and the I'll workbook and the DVD. I'll take you back to the course. Okay. I'll take yeah. you back to the course because yeah. I had like one of my like high achieving friends, like they, you know, and I was, we were always with like, I've always, you know, you surround yourself with yeah. people who are like, you know. Um, and so one of my friends who I respect and I love and is really successful in their own right uh, was over, you know, whatever, and saw my DVDs and my workbooks out on the kitchen table that I had spent years creating at this point because I had also had two kids at that time. Like we were, that was that phase of life. And they were like, what's this? And I'm like, this is my storytelling course. And they're like, you're, you're what? Like my course, my course about storytelling. And they were like, well, what is, what does, what does this course do? And I said, well, you watch it and you do the workbook and you're a better storyteller. And they were like, but who, who's going to buy that? <laughs> and I just sat, I just stood there and I was like, I, I hope, I hope someone will someone. buy, someone will buy it. And then do you know what happened, Kelly? I did the whole like digital marketing launch. Like I sent out, do you know who bought it? N- nope. Nobody, nobody <laughs> bought it. <laughs> did you, did you do no. the waterfall campaign too? Did you do the waterfall yeah, campaign? Like- yeah, where it was like, yeah, it was like for, it was the, I don't know what the waterfall, I don't know. It wasn't the waterfall campaign. Okay. It was like piece of content, piece of content, piece of content, like three videos yeah. and then sales video. And then, <sighs> and then email the next day. Yeah. And it's like, you missed your time, but here it is. Yes. And then give you Here's a couple stories in time, in time. Yes. Yeah. 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 But no, no, didn't. And this was going to be, this was me (laughs) as a storyteller. So imagine like, and I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure my dad called me to see how the launch went. And I don't know how I spun that story, but it was terrible. Did 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 you sell any? No, not in that first like week. I think someone bought one like two weeks later or something like it was, but it it was a big for the launch period. It was a big zero. It was zero. And each day, so like you send it out and I'm like, cause, and I was following all of the people who were like, you know, digital, right. And they were like, you're going to make a gazillion dollars. And so I just sat there and like waited to make a gazillion dollars. And I made zero, zero dollars. And I remember, so like it was the first day and then, and Michael was like, no, no, we're going to send out the reminder email. And then we send out the other, cause he's invested in this too. Right. Cause I, he's now the sole breadwinner. This is my job is selling this program that no one is buying. And, um, God bless the man for <laughs> believing in me the way he does. Right. And he was like, Kendra, maybe. And I said to him after several days of zero sales, I was like, hold on a second. This was a failure. And I need a minute to sit here 
and let not look on the bright side, not, well, maybe it's because I'm like, you know, he just, he's just not that into you, right? Like there's no, he didn't <laughs> call you back. They didn't buy the, it's not like, oh, maybe all the, all the pay phones or maybe he didn't have a quarter. Maybe, you know, like back to high school when you had to call people on, on pay phones. Um, but I was like, just let me be here in this space of failure and then, and then I can move forward, but I have to be all the way here. And I remember calling my best friend who I love and she was like, Hey, what's going on? I'm like, I think this is the worst day of my professional career. How are you? She's like, you sound pretty good for it being the worst day of your professional career, right? Because I was already, I was already, I needed a minute to be super bummed. But then like, all right, where do I go from here? Like what do, and what had happened was over the course of developing that course, I had learned how to teach teach people how to do storytelling. And then all I had to do was take, you know, it was a two, it was a two- DVD actually four altogether it was a it was a lot of DVDs okay you had there was like the friends collection it was they came in different did colors it, like did you it, could buy did it come did it come four of them sitting out like this in a square or was it like stacked on top of each other no it was two and then two yes so it was like two it was two for in one workbook and then two in another workbook yes. and um yeah I but in the meantime, I had learned how to teach storytelling and then that became my keynote and then that became my book. And then I realized that my whole life, what I've been doing is seeing my life as story and that I knew even sitting in that moment of the biggest business failure that I had felt thus far, that that would be a story that, and here we are, that I would tell someday, <laughs> right? And be like, wow, it's going to be really awesome when I tell the story of how this tanked because I won't even believe it. I want to be at the point where I won't even believe that I ever failed. And I'm going to be so grateful that this happened to me, um, which ultimately now is, is this book is you get to choose. You get to choose what stories you tell yourself and what they mean for your life right now and where you are, but more importantly, where you want to go. I think it's incredible. So talk to me too. Okay. So you go through this part, then you get into the a keynote part. Give me the pinch me moment where you're, I mean, obviously you speak in front of crowds all over. I mean, you speak in front of huge, huge crowds. I mean, you're all over the place. The press is like clamoring for you. I was so excited to be able to get you on the show. Oh, but tell really? me, tell me, Kendra, the pinch me moment where you're standing backstage. There's a whether I mean, and tell us how many in the audience, whatever it was. And you're like, holy poop. The, those DVDs got me <laughs> to be in this spot. And I am so excited to be here. I think that, you know, you have a lot of those pinch me moments. There was one prior to this, like it was the first time that I spoke at an event and it wasn't like I didn't have a PowerPoint. It was really rough. Like somebody just out of the blue was like, Hey, can you come speak about storytelling? And I was like, yes, I can. Um, and I remember after that, and it was a mess, like looking, I wish I had it on video. Nobody filmed it. Um, but it was, it was a mess. I know. But again, I was 
And actually, I made a friend that day and a fellow speaker there. And something that he said to me was, I've never seen someone be more themselves on stage. And I, I think I knew right then, because I had spent some time trying to be other people. You do that when you're a gonzo. Uh, you want to be other people because it seems, you know, you're like, well, I don't quite get myself, but I see that that works over there. So I remember watching a lot of guy keynote speakers and being like, look at how they just like move effortlessly across the stage. And I'm like, oh, right, because they're wearing loafers. And I prefer Hold on, wearing on. loafers? I loafers? Feel, yeah, over. they were all loafer wearers. Okay, they were, you may not, you may wear sneakers, hey, but the hey. guys I was watching, we're wearing loafers. Okay. I love a loafer. I just got some loafers. But you, I'm gonna. You can make some stage. loafers look good. But does Michael wear loafers? Mm, he ain't he wearing no Michael. Sneakers. Michael is cool because oh. he's got a beautiful, yeah. amazing wife. He's got to be cool. He's got to keep it up. He ain't showing up yeah. in any loafers. No, he wasn't in. Lo- I'm not saying like these were. I was watching people, so that should have been my first red flag. Okay, instead, so there. Go take us back. You're going through. They're they're running around in yeah. their loafers I, now. If- and I'm like, oh gosh, how do I do that? <laughs> no, and I was like, well, okay, I don't want to wear loafers. So so. But I remember after that keynote, even though it was a mess, I remember standing and it was in Vegas, but not on the strip. It was like some event like off the strip and way far off the strip. And I remember like looking out my window at just like a dirt parking lot because it wasn't on the strip. And I was thinking, I think I could do this. I think I could do, what if I could provide for my family doing this and it was I mean I even remember I remember because the the windows were like where you could just see your own reflection kind of with all the weird treatment they put on the windows you're just kind of looking at yourself out the window um but then I did have and and you know what actually Kelly I think now when you ask that like what was a pinch me moment I think that's one of the things that makes me great on stage is because I, before every event, I tap back into like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Not, not in a doubtful way, not in a, can I do this? Or am I supposed to be here? But like, pinch me. I can't believe that this is what I get to do. And even when, even when everything went virtual and I'm we had to lock our kids because they were doing virtual school at the beginning of it all, right? And everything had gone virtual. We're trying, so we're filming in the living room. <laughs> we would lock our kids in our closet uh, <laughs> with an iPad. There's a bathroom attached to the closet, so they could go to the bathroom. Sure. We would give them snacks. We would give them water, and they. My mom would read to them over Facetime from uh, wherever. I think they were in. They would have been in Arizona at the time. And so she would read to them for hours while we filmed out in the living room. And we'd like at one point hear the door open. We're like, what are you doing? Get back in the closet. It was very aggressive. (laughs) Those were tense times. Um, The good old days, as my kids refer to it, remember. (laughs) Uh, But I think it's so important to for me to like tap back into every single time. Like, wow, I can't believe that this is what I get to do. Um, and that's been really, that's been kind of, uh, a constant throughout. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, now's the time to do some shameless promotion. This episode is brought to you by Squeeze Dried, a delicious, no-hassle way to get superfoods, vitamins, and nutrition. Squeezedried.com. It's also brought to you by Cardenas Law Group, a high-level boutique law firm for all your personal injury needs. That's CardenasLawGroup.com. Thank you so much again for listening. Hopefully, you're continuing to enjoy the episode. When, when does your, tell us about a specific time when your, when your husband called you on your poop, because I think a lot of times, like, you know, say I'll be working on a keynote, um, you know, or I'll be, I'll be going to a place to speak to, to an audience or whatever it is. And you know, and I know like the, when the stage hits, you can kind of black out, you know what I'm saying? Like you could black mm-hmm. out and you could go into that place. I see mm-hmm. that you have it. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're one of honestly like one of the one of the best that I've seen and so but my wife when I come home and I try those techniques on my wife <laughs> she she ain't having that she ain't having that she's like you know so talk to us about when Michael is like put down the storytelling this is I not going to be about the event the story the uh the response and the result this is going to be about me and you sitting right here and we need to deal with this uh. He's only like, he's actually, he's fully indoctrinated, I think is the, like, he knows that this is, but I, I do know there was, and this was early on, uh, this was early on in, in our marriage. And of course my work, um, where he was, he was still working full time at a company, struggling with something interpersonally at work. And, and he just kept coming home and talking about the same thing over and over and over again. And he would say the same thing. And then I would say the same thing. And then he would say, and I was just so done with it. And, and then it came like one day he came home and he was talking about the thing and it came to the pause where I'm supposed to talk about the thing too. And instead I told the story of a a mutual friend of ours who was having some, uh, office politics stuff going on and like, you know, what was happening there and how they worked through it or weren't working through it. And, and I finished and was like, so, you know, like it was the same advice, the same response I'd been giving for the past, however long he'd been talking about it, but it was just in story form. And I remember very intentionally being like, I should tell a story here. And he was like, and I said, so does that, make sense? And he said, yeah. And don't think I don't know what you just did there. (laughs) So he, he knows, he knows, but it's also, you know, the great thing is, um, I think the great thing about our relationship and the great thing that, that can happen in relationships is when you catch each other in your limiting story. So like he, he has these beliefs about himself and like, uh, and stories about why he can't do certain things, whether they're stories from his own life or stories from things that he sees around him. So he thinks, well, maybe they can do it, but I can't, or that just can't be done or whatever it is. Um, and for me to be like, my job as a partner and spouse and someone who sees him for who he is, is to remind him of the stories that 
quiet all those other ones of when he did this and nobody else could figure that out. And when he made this happen and how he's doing this right now and he'll, um, he does the same for me. And I think we forget, we forget ourselves sometimes. And it's so whether, whether it's a spouse or a a dear friend or a sibling or another family member to have someone here that be like, Oh, I see what story you're telling yourself right now, but you should tell yourself these stories instead. And like to equip them with that. Uh, I think that those are the most important relationships there are. Well, I, th- I think it's incredible. And, and uh, I'm going to run it down here in a second, but I, I do uh, the, the whole reason why I started the podcast uh, Kendra is because of my kids, uh, McKenna, who's uh, just about to be 13 years old um, wow. on, on Sunday. Um, absolutely beautiful. I mean, amazing heart. She's the artist, um, in the family. And then there's Maddox and Maddox is 10 years old. He's a cartoon character. Um, he, uh, we were yelling like, come on down. Like it's time for school. It's time for school. He walks down and, uh, (laughs) he gets down the stairs and he's like 15 minutes late. And Maddox is like, right on time. <laughs> but to him, whenever he shows up, it's right on time. That's his yes, personality. That is that is where Maddox Maddox is where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. If he's there, that's when he's supposed to be. That's amazing. On on Thanksgiving two, I think it was two years ago. Uh, we were in um, Highland, Indiana, visiting uh, our friend and partner out there, and <laughs> he wakes up in the hotel and he jumps out of bed. He's like, "I did it." And I was like, that was the first words he said. And I said, what'd you do, son? He's like, I woke up. So that's, that's who Maddox, that's who Maddox is. So you got Maddox and McKenna, 10 and 12. And I started the podcast because I want to take iconic people like yourself. And I wanted to show them that Kendra is not a superhero, that she is a human being who didn't walk down the yellow brick road. She walked down a place where she had to pick up a bunch of rocks into a box, uh, into a bucket and get 25 cents for them. But she has a phenomenal attitude, crazy work ethic. And with that, you can accomplish anything. So what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both of their names, it would be amazing. I would say Maddox and McKenna to remember these stories that are happening to you right now. Like ask your parents for your stories. Like that story of Maddox coming down the stairs and being 15 minutes late and saying, I am right on time. <laughs> like that is a story uh, that Maddox needs to remember because there are going to be days in the future, hopefully years in the future, but there will be days when Maddox, you think maybe you're too late or you're not moving fast enough, or you've gotten somewhere too early, and you'll be questioning yourself, you'll be doubting yourself. That's that's part of what being a human who cares is. And I want you to reach back to 10-year-old self, your 10-year-old self, and say, no, wherever I am, I am right on time. Like, there are things that are happening right now in your life that are stories and snapshots of who you really are. And if you ever forget that or you feel confused or you're trying to figure it out, 
those are the stories you need to turn to because those stories are the truth. Kendra, I want to thank you because for those listeners out there that have been riding with me since the beginning, you know that I've said it before. I do not send out questions to any guest that I have on the show. (laughs) I don't. I will not. And I'll continue to not because I want you Mm -hmm. to know who Kendra is as opposed to what she does. But I want to show you something real quick. I want to show you something real quick. Kendra, are you ready for this? I don't are know. You, are you I'm, ready I'm for worried. this? Okay, I'm watch. Ready. You know, I, I, yeah. Okay, what I want you to do, if you're listening, you're watching, I want you to rewind it and I want you to watch it again. I want you to watch it with a friend, but I want you to write down these words. I want you to write down event, story, response, result. You'll see that every single time that, uh, that Kendra answered a question of mine, she had an event that happened in her life. She chose the story. There was the response and then there was the result. And every single time, and it wasn't coerced. It was, we didn't set up for this. None of that. The next thing that I want you to uh, look at and I want you to write down, number one, become your story. And I love it because if you noticed, Kendra became her story even more today because she was like, I'm vanilla. I didn't have anything. And then she went into her story and we were like, you are weird woman. Like you had a crazy, (laughs) crazy upbringing. Weird is good. And she... She not only talks about this in the book, guys, that it's in three parts. Number one is the become your story. Number two, the self-storing, uh, storytelling process. And you did that. You did that every single time. You told yourself for a long time until today that you grew up in a vanilla place. And then you started mm-hmm. to look at your story today. And then finally, guys, if you look at this and she interwove them. That she explored other people's stories and used other people's transformations to be able to inspire her to see that this stuff is possible. I can do and I can be who I want to be. The reason why I said, are you ready, are you ready for this, Kendra, is because there's very, very, very few people that live what they're talking about. And I invite you, watch this over and over again, but take the notes. Watch it the first time. You guys are done with it now, um, you know, but I want you to write these notes down and I want you to go back and I want you to listen to Kendra. And then I want you to see every single interview that she does, every single thing on uh, social media. And you have actually found what we're all looking for. When we scratch the surface, that we see the same thing in the dark as we do in the light. And that's what Kendra is. And I want to thank you so much because honestly, you blew my mind today. Like, there are those things, but I watched them. I mean, I watched them happen, transform, but it was so natural. It was so there. And I just want to, I want to compliment you. And I want to tell you that you are an inspiration to all of us. I mean, I can't, um, I can't thank you enough. You took me, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this and revisit all of the stories that you, um, that you made possible for me to remember and to even every day get to today, see myself a little differently than I did before this conversation. So it was, this was an absolute joy and an honor to, to be in your presence and, and get to be here and share the story with you. I have one ask. When you tell the purple notebook story for the first time in a keynote, I need to know before because I want to be in the audience. Okay. I want to okay. be in the, I want to okay. be in the audience and I'm going to be, mm-hmm. ah, that's it. Purple <laughs> notebook. And if you don't, Hey, if you invite me to the, to the event and I get there and you're up there and you ain't going to the place, I'm going to be that dude. That's like, what about the purple notebook, Kendra? 
Tell me the notebook story. <laughs> Hold her. Yes. Be like, where was it? Why did you, where was the story? You left it out just like you left the notebook at, at school. <laughs> so Kendra, bring us home. And I know you got to do it quick. Bring us home with the, I sound like a man story. Oh, I, it's so crazy. You were talking about how today you actually sound like a man. And then that reminded me of, and I said, well, my voice is, is really low. It's a, I've been talking a lot lately too. So it's a little bit worn. Um, and I remember when I was a junior in college, I worked at the Outback Steakhouse in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, I was really good. And I worked there at my father's encouragement because that's where you'll make more tips there than at Applebee's because the, the price of dinner is more expensive. So if you're getting 20%, I mean, it was very, it made a lot of sense. And I remember one of my first days going up to this table and it was, it, the restaurant opened at five and they were there at like 4.45 waiting. It was just this little old couple and they were sitting, they were sitting there and I walked up and they, apparently they came every Every whatever Friday at that exact time, they sat in that exact seat. And whoever their server usually was, it was me today. And they're like, oh, we usually have Jody." And I'm like, you've got me today. She said, you kind of sound like a man. (laughs) I was like... Okay. Okay. And, And the crazy thing is, the crazy thing is, there is still... A part of me when I listen to myself on podcasts, when I, and, and I know this isn't about like, oh, you sound different than you sound in your head. Um, I know that I've had to listen to myself enough to know what I sound like in my head versus on a podcast. So, so I know that difference. But every time I listen to myself, I'm like, oh gosh, do I sound too much? Like I have this feeling that there's something wrong with my voice. And, and, and I'm realizing that that it was, I think it started with that. She is definitely dead. Like that is why am I still, she was so old then. Why am I letting this comment from this old lady from the Outback Steakhouse still have any life or, 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 or say in how I see myself. And that was just one of those moments. And you, you discover these stories that are like that story lives rent free in my life and makes me question my voice on a daily basis that one time because I never waited on her again because Jody was back and Jody waited on her I don't know why Jody did they were terrible or maybe they tipped Jody great and they don't tip me well because they were offended by my masculine voice I don't know but why is it that 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 is still a part why do I still have that in my head and so I now have to go and unpack that and, and that is what I will do as, <laughs> as I leave you here. Kendra, I want to tell you, it's been a pleasure. Have you told the Outback Steakhouse story to, on, on the podcast no, before? No, I never. This is exclusive. I just remembered. This yeah, is, this ex- is that isn't it? Hey, that's exclusive. We're that putting is- it, we're putting it on DVD. We're going to be selling it at the end of the show. You will get a waterfall campaign. If you don't buy the and DVD. A lip phone, a lip, not, not a flip phone, a lip phone like d like dj tanner had that's the other that's the other and a live concert by casey and jojo well 
Well, everyone out there, you guys know, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know what it's time to do now. Click the links, do all the stuff. But I'm going to tell you, you need to share this with every single person. I'm not saying, like, you need to share it with men, women, children, like, you're, you know, hide your wives, hide your husbands, you know, everybody. You need to send this out to everyone because everyone needs to understand that their story is so important. And when they start to own it and when they start to construct it and then we, when they start to get inspired by other people's stories, we could truly change this world and it'll all be be because of Outback Steakhouse. So I want to thank you. That's going to be our new sponsor, Kendra. New sponsor. <laughs> Oh my I want I want to thank you though you you have been absolutely phenomenal um, and Kendra you are officially off the hot seat. Yes. <laughs>